What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It is Friday, May 20th, 2022. I am your host, Matt Norton, here once again with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, you getting ready for your big trip to Italia? Oh, Matt, I sure am. And guess what? This weekend at a wedding, I sprained my ankle. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that has not been fun. I've been icing it a lot, Um, but I'm praying to be in like tip top shape. Uh, by by like Wednesday this week, so we'll see. We will uh, we will say our prayers to the pasta pasta gods that <laughs> they will fix everything for you, and then you can just have a wonderful two week vacation to the motherland. <laughs> yes, dude, I can't wait. I'm seriously so excited. I think I speak for all of us here on the show and the listeners at home when I say we are very excited for you. So take lots of pictures. Can't wait to hear about when you get back. I will. Yeah, I'll definitely tell everyone about it when I get back. All right, I also have a cool thing coming up this weekend. I am running the Brooklyn Half Marathon tomorrow by the time this episode drops. So everyone say, Matt, good luck. We hope that you run under two hours because that's the goal. <laughs> Anything under two hours is a win. <laughs> yeah, I've, my best time ever was like a 2.09 or something a couple years ago. So we're going to beat that and we're going to beat two hours. And that's it. That's how it's going to go. Hell yeah. Love that. Positive vibes only. All right, let's get into this. Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. All right, let's get into our quick hits. Our first one is by Livia Albeck Ripka of the New York Times, who writes, the tick that causes a meat allergy is on the move. This is about the Lone Star tick, which is native to the eastern, southeastern, and midwestern United States. Its common hosts include white-tailed deer and wild turkeys, and this is a good time to remind everyone to check yourself, your pets, your friends, your family, whoever, for ticks after your spring and summer hikes. Lone Star Tick Bites can cause alpha-gal syndrome, or AGS, which impacts 34,000 Americans and causes an allergic reaction when eating mammal meat because of a protein that's found in mammals but isn't found in poultry, fish, reptiles, you know, animals like that. The ticks territory is expanding in part because of climate change as global warming causes more hot days per year, which is awesome if you're an insect that lives in warm and humid conditions. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that between 2004 and 2019, the total number of tick-borne diseases in the in the United States more than doubled, and other diseases caused by insects that prefer warm weather have also increased. The article mentions that the tiger mosquito and harlequin bug as two other species that are increasing their range. Scientists say that the white-tailed deer population booming recently has helped spread the Lone Star Tick in addition to climate change. AGS has been found in 39 states after its discovery in 2006. Symptoms of AGS kick in two to six hours after eating meat or dairy products. And symptoms contain hives, 
nausea, heartburn, diarrhea, cough, drop in blood pressure, dizziness, and severe stomach pains. The symptoms can even be life-threatening at times. Yeah, they're usually mild, but AGS varies from person to person. So look, like we said at the top, be careful this spring and summer and make sure to check for ticks after every adventure you have out in the woods, out in the fields, out in the flowers, whatever you're doing, check for ticks. Dude, literally two weeks ago, like a week ago maybe, I pulled three to four ticks off of the Bachigaloop. Oh no. Which is my dog. Yeah, that is Nick's um, dog for anyone who's unfortunately unaware. <laughs> Dude, and I was I was super scared. I thought I had one on the back of my leg. It was just a beauty mark. We're good. But yeah, seriously, be careful because I've actually talked to a bunch of other dog owners too. And they've said the same thing. Like I've been pulling ticks off my dog. I don't know what's going on. They never get some. Like, I don't know. So definitely be careful. Yeah, tick season is starting earlier and lasting longer because of, like we said, warmer temperatures. So definitely be on the lookout. And we talked exclusively about AGS here, but the Lone Star Tick Bite can also cause other illnesses, including both the Heartland and Bourbon virus diseases, both of which can lead to fever, fatigue, and in some cases, hospitalization or even death. Two things I wanted to bring up. Uh, if you, like me, heard Lone Star Tick and thought, oh, I wonder if it's from Texas or something. Nope, there is like a star shape on the back of its body, and that's where it gets its name has nothing to do with the Lone Star State. Don't blame this one on Texas. They can't They can't take the blame for this one. <laughs> yeah, this one's uh, the, the eastern coast of the U.S. into the Midwest. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up, AGS sounds pretty scary to me because the symptoms, like we said, can kick in two to six hours after eating meat. And I'm thinking, you know, you eat dinner at, let's say you have a late dinner one night, seven o'clock, and you want to go to bed at 11.30, Symptoms might not kick in until you're sleeping. So all the yeah. more reason to just let's not worry about that because we are checking for ticks, people. Yeah, seriously. That's a brutal wake up call that I, I never want to deal with. <laughs> it is the summer of checking ticks. <laughs> yes. All right. So the next one is titled Agency Unanimously Rejects California Desalination Project by Amy Taxon of the Associated Press. Longtime listeners of TPT will remember when Nick and I literally solved climate change on our March 25th episode by talking about this issue. So Nick, let's play back that audio for anyone who might've missed it. I'm very curious about what kind of progress and technology has been made to take like ocean water, for example, boil it down and make some of it drinkable. And are we going to need to do that? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and then what happens, right? Like, I guess that fixes the sea level rise issue if we just start drinking ocean water. But, Whoa. Yeah. Matt, you just solved climate change, my man. <laughs> is, that, is that what happened? It is 6.50 on a Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. Matt just solved climate change, guys. I'm going to say that this isn't possible because... Someone smarter than us has definitely had that no, idea. and thousand been like, percent. Yeah, yeah, let's run the tests. No, this won't work. But right now, <laughs> we sound like the smartest guys on the planet. So it turns out that we can't just boil salt water to remove the salt, but desalination is possible. A longstanding proposal to build a $1.4 billion seawater plant to make Pacific Ocean water drinkable was rejected unanimously, even as California struggles with droughts that will become more intense and more common with climate change. Poseidon Water hoped to build the plant and produce 50 million gallons of water per day in Huntington Beach, which is southeast of L.A. A company statement from Poseidon Water said, every day we see new calls for conservation as reservoir levels drop to dangerous lows. 
We firmly believe that this desalination project would have created a sustainable, drought-tolerant source of water. The proposal was supported by Governor Gavin Newsom, but environmentalists said that drawing in large amounts of water and then releasing that salty discharge back into the oceans would kill billions of tiny marine organisms that are the base of all aquatic food chains. Commissioner Dana Bochco said the ocean is under attack from climate change already and couldn't say that the amount of damage this would cause is okay. Other commissioners cited the fact that this area is less reliant on state water and that it was too costly as other reasons to vote down the proposal. So basically, this area of California is located near an aquifer that produces more water than a lot of other areas in the state. So this wouldn't be an area where state water is going to have as huge of an impact as other areas. And for that reason, they said, look, this is not worth killing off all of those marine organisms and permanently impacting the coasts just to give us some drought relief. Yeah. And like maybe like a couple months ago, I would have been like, oh, I don't know, maybe it's worth it to get all that water. But now after we watch that Kiss the Ground documentary, I'm like every microorganism has its place and like is playing a massive part in the food chain. You got to keep it. You got to keep it stable. So I, under, I understand this. Yeah, it's really interesting when you look at conservation because it's so easy to get people behind, you know, saving the tiger, saving the elephant, saving whales because they're these yeah. big, you know, charismatic megafauna is the term that a lot of um, conservation groups will use because they're giant animals that people love or people are interested in. Yeah. But in protecting them, you also have to protect their habitat. And that includes protecting those microorganisms that we've been talking about. So. Yeah, it's not as simple as just saying, oh, yeah, we'll protect lions without saying we're going to protect all of the animals and insects that make up the base of the food chain, too. Yeah, exactly. California has spent most of the last 15 years in drought conditions. Its normal wet season that runs from late fall to the end of the winter was especially dry this year. And as a result, 95 percent of the state is classified as in severe drought right now. So you know, I get it. People need water to survive. And the panel decided that it wasn't worth doing this at the cost of destroying California's coast and marine food chains. Yeah. I think with this one, you're just creating a bigger issue by, if you're going to decide to destroy, you know, the food chain, um, there's probably better ways we can figure out. Although we did solve, solve climate change that day, Matt, we did. <laughs> I'm still counting March 25th as a pivotal moment in our nation's history, but we got to figure out another way to get some water to California and to the other drought heavy areas. Yeah. And it's really interesting. It's a good point. You brought up how you can't solve one problem and then create one that's going to be way worse. So even looking at something as a transitional, you know, solution, let's say that they're not looking at this as something that's going to totally solve drought because all it really does is fix the symptoms of drought. It doesn't fix the cause of the drought. Yeah. This would still lead to so many more problems that it's not worth dealing with that, even if it's going to create more drinking water for people. So when I first read the headline, I was like, damn, that's kind of a bummer because, you know, like we said, 95% of the state is in severe drought right now. But reading into this, understanding it more, I think this was 100% the right decision. Agreed. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. All right. We are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, two more quick hits.
Nick, how is packing for your trip going so far? Oh, it's going pretty well, Matt. You know, I'm just grabbing all the essentials, you know? So what are we talking? Like clothes, tissues, phone charger? Uh, yeah, just you got to skip that second one, Matt. I'm not bringing any tissues. What are you bringing? I am bringing my Vala Alta. And I got them on deck. I got them on deck. I got like five or ten just lined up. No need for tissues. You know how to say Vala Alta in Italian? Vala Alta. <laughs> Vala Alta. <laughs> Vela Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the materials historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Use it for your nose. Use it on your pasta. Use it to wipe that fresh red wine off your lips. (laughs) Use it wherever. Valaalta. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And next up, U.S. oil refineries spewing cancer-causing benzene into communities. Report finds by the Guardian's Alaya Utunova. We should just do an unethical company or industry of the week segment here. And this week, (laughs) it's a dozen U.S. oil refineries. Last year, they exceeded the federal limit on average benzene emissions. And five of those were located in Texas, four in Louisiana, and one each in Pennsylvania, Indiana, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, according to a new analysis by the Environmental Integrity Project last week. Benzene is a highly toxic and volatile carcinogen when it gets exposed to the air. Most of the extra emissions were caused by leaks from valves, tanks, and pumps. The EPA estimates that 6.1 million people in the U.S. live within three miles of an oil refinery, And that is twice as likely in low-income communities and communities of color. One of the examples from the article is Galveston Bay in Texas City, where roughly 37,000 people live within three miles of the Marathon Petroleum Refinery. 62% of the people there are people of color, and 47% are low-income. Yeah, I remember I visited um, Houston, and I was shocked by, like, the amount of oil refineries that you pass on like the major highway there. I mean, there's a bunch of major highways there, but I just remember going on one specific one that like went through the city and I was like every five minutes, it felt like it was like Tim Hortons in Canada. Like you cannot avoid it. Yeah. And unfortunately that's, it's the same as a coal burning power plant where you drive by it and you just see smog and you see gross, like black smoke coming out. It's like, that, that can't be good for people, but you drive past it and you're like, yeah. all right, whatever. There are people that live, like we said, within three miles of those, and they are much more likely to be exposed to this toxic benzene. And, and that's just one of the carcinogens that's going to be in that smoke. So, you know, it's, it's just a, a myriad of problems that comes with living there. And unfortunately, it's another environmental justice issue where this is a problem for the environment that impacts people of color and low-income communities at a higher rate than white people and wealthier people. 
Yeah. And like, this is a classic climate change, common sense thing again, that we've been talking about where it's like, okay, they are spewing stuff into the air and you're breathing it in. Yeah. Let's see where, what else do we need to put together to like know that this is probably not good for us, you know? Yeah. So nearly half of the oil refineries in the U.S. release enough benzene to be classified as a long-term potential health threat, but that is actually below the EPA's threshold to require action. And look, it's easy to blame the oil refineries on this one. And don't get me wrong, I do blame the oil refineries for this, but some of the blame can be extended to the EPA for knowing the level of benzene that can cause long-term health impacts and then setting the level to require action as three times higher than that, which is what they did here. Yeah, and the article even mentions that the EPA needs to step up here. Eric Schaefer, the executive director of the Environmental Integrity Project, said, if facilities can't get their benzene below the action level year after year, we really need to see enforcement from the EPA and that facilities need to start paying fines. Yeah, it's definitely frustrating when you look at something like this where it seems like for several years leading up to this episode, there hasn't really been a ton of enforcement on something where they're basically allowing a pollutant into the air. And at some point that needs to be allowed if you're going to allow oil refineries. So those come with a risk and and the risk is it's going to decrease your air quality. So some of this needs to be allowed unless you're going to totally outlaw fossil fuels, which sign me up. But <laughs> yeah. like some of this is just kind of, it comes with the territory. And if that's going to be allowed, setting the level at, hey, here's how much is going to cause damage. You can do three times more than that before we're going to make you cut back. That's where this gets to be really frustrating for me. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, we're still dependent on fossil fuels and kind of will be for the next, let's say two or three years, five years, possibly, who knows? <laughs> 10, I'm not, yeah, I'm 15. not going to, I'm not going to make any projections actually, but <laughs> um, yeah, we're still very dependent on fossil fuels. And until that changes, it's, it's kind of tough to, to tell them to completely stop. Like you said, maybe it's more about like enforcement and, and lowering their levels, but it's kind of a tough say. Yeah. And just to put some numbers on this, 0.13 micrograms per cubic meter of benzene can cause one additional cancer case for every 1 million people that's exposed. The EPA allows three micrograms per cubic meter and nine micrograms per cubic meter is considered action level. So 69 additional cancer cases per million people impacted by benzene is when action needs to be taken. That's called the fence line level. An EPA spokesperson did say the agency is actively engaged in reviewing the benzene fence line data and has initiated several investigations of facilities to determine the reason for the elevated benzene emissions. Yeah, it's frustrating because, you know, like you said, under the current system, we are reliant on fossil fuels. So I alluded to this earlier, but some level needs to be allowed, but that's still dozens of people, their friends and their families whose lives are changed forever. And the easy answer for me is to just switch to renewables because solar doesn't cause cancer as we're producing it. Wind doesn't impact our water supply as we produce it. But, you know, it's not as simple as just saying, all right, no more fossil fuels tomorrow. Let's switch to 100% renewables as much as, you know, we wish it was that easy. So for me, I guess the main takeaway is it's just hard to think about how preventable this damage is 
by phasing out fossil fuels and that some of our leaders still just do not care. Yeah. And like, I don't know, like, does someone need to, to tell them? Like, are they just not informed enough? I don't. They know. It's just like. They 100% know, man. You got to think that like their constituents here are getting sick at a higher rate than than people who don't live by oil refineries. They have to know. Yeah. And I'm just thinking like the people of, you know, Texas or wherever it is, Louisiana, like, don't they notice that more people are getting, you know, cancer in those areas? I don't know. It's low income communities and it's communities of color. So unfortunately, in a lot of political environments, they don't have the power and the people in power do not care. And it's why environmental justice is such a huge, huge, major part of the climate issue. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Let's get into our last quick hit of the week. And it is from Gizmodo, where Lauren Leffer writes, Biden cancels offshore drilling in Alaska and Gulf of Mexico. All right. Let's cover the pessimistic side of this first, very briefly. There were only three leases here and those were all canceled. One was because there wasn't enough industry interest in that area. And the other two were canceled because of court issues with the filings. These were not canceled because of environmentalism. Now that that's out of the way, winning ugly is still winning. You know, survive in advance. This shouldn't be looked at as winning the war against fossil fuels by any means, but this still means that millions of acres of coastal waters will not be sold for fossil fuel extraction and that there will be no new offshore lease sales in 2022. The federal five-year offshore drilling program expires on June 30th, and the Biden administration has announced no plans to replace that program, meaning that they might not replace it at all, which would be great. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. The article mentions that fossil-fueled politicians and the petroleum industry are upset about it. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski said the program not being replaced would increase already high fuel prices. All right, two things I love about this article. One, play on words there. Huge pun guy. If you don't know me in person, (laughs) thank you for listening to this show. That's awesome. Also, I love puns. Um, I also loved how the article did some internal fact checking, which is super important in journalism. And it said any drill leases issued now would not have any immediate effect on domestic fuel availability. So, you know, they gave Lisa Murkowski side of this and then immediately were like, that is something that was said. Here's why you don't have to worry about it because it doesn't make sense. And this is why it's wrong. Yeah. (laughs) And the article also brings up some opposing views like that of Kristen Monsell. She's the Ocean Program Litigation Director for the Center for Biological Diversity. And she said, this is great news for our climate, communities, and imperiled wildlife. Taking these leases off the table means the decades of carbon emissions, oil spills, and pollution they would have caused won't occur. Yeah, this was a solid piece of journalism, in my opinion. Like, here's what happened. Here's why. Here's what one side thinks. Here's why that information is wrong. And here's what the other side thinks. You can now make your own assumptions based on that. I, I just thought that this was really, really solid piece. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is this is big. It's, it means that, you know, we're not going to have to pull a bunch of oil out of the oceans like we've have, you know, in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm sure that community can speak to this more than anyone else. Like this is probably such a massive win for, for them. And like for, for everyone involved, it's just, it's terrible to see like the wildlife just be covered in, in oil. And for us to have avoided that with this is, is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also something worth noting that we're also avoiding 
the human side of that where you know it's gonna cause illnesses if there's oil spills with that oil dissipating but still getting close to the shore that people are going to be swimming in and who knows maybe it gets closer to the, to the shore and gets into the water table and gets into people's drinking water so there's all sorts of environmental impacts and public health impacts that we just won't have to deal with because of this so it's great and i know i said at the top that it wasn't because of environmentalism and these were canceled because of issues with the courts and one was just you know, the industry wasn't interested, maybe that means that this land won't get exploited at all. And that all of these millions of acres of ocean water are just going to stay that ocean water. Yeah. So a quote that is from the article that I really felt was, it's been a tough week on the climate beat. In other words, a typical week. And Leffer brings up carbon bombs, which I will cover on Memorial Day as a mini-sode. She also brings up drought water shortages and key benchmarks of global warming that we're getting closer to passing. So look, a win like this is reason to smile on your Friday morning or afternoon or whenever you're listening to this episode. A lot more needs to be done. And I'm hoping that this is part of a greater trend and not just three outliers, but yeah, good news to send you off on your weekends. Yes. Agreed. Go forth and spread the good news. (laughs) All right. (laughs) That'll do it for today's episode of TPT. On Monday, we will be airing this month's interview. Matt spoke with James Leitner of Mission Clean Water about water. James's extreme fundraisers and the fundraiser his team will be running next month. Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. And follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all of our music. Nick, where can people bump your tunes while they're missing your voice? <laughs> you can bump my tunes at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace. Love you guys. <laughs>